You have 100 messages. Welcome to the Voicemail Poems podcast for spring 2017. I'm your host, Logan Kier. I am super excited to announce that I have a new co-host, Alexis Smithers. Alexis is editor-in-chief for Voicemail Poems. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Alexis. Well, I'm a Black non-binary artist creating in the DMV. I help out with 365 Days of Lesbians, Half Mystic, and Winter Tangerine along with voicemail poems, and I tweet at DangerLove12 if you want to find more of my work. Great, thank you. So today we're going to discuss three outstanding poems from the Spring 2017 issue. First up, we have Model 3.5 by Katherine Weiss. Hi, this is Katherine Weiss calling from Florence, Massachusetts, and this poem is called Model 3.5. When I meet my third and a half boyfriend, my number one dating priority is societal acceptability. He is a model slash actor slash retail associate at Abercrombie and Fitch. Hot damn, says me in 2004, my puka shell necklace glinting over my artfully layered gap tank top. She checks all the societally appropriate boxes, if you know what I mean. And I hope that you do not. You know how sometimes when you preface an X, you start by disclaiming the at least they didn't. And it says so much about what they did, like you never hit me. But my new boyfriend is saying things out loud at my smiling face. I am grateful he's a human being in the same room as me. Because I am 19, I call him refreshingly honest, like there's nothing more romantic than the phrase, I expect regular anal and will get it elsewhere if I need to, which, by the way, is a very silly ultimatum. You know how sometimes your boyfriend's name is Chris and his roommate is a cop named Chris, but with a K, and you pretend like that's a super funny story, and you pretend like being alone in their studio apartment with them does not make your skin crawl, and pretend you agree borrowing real handcuffs for sex is totally hot until Chris shows you how much it isn't. It is April, and in two months I will be diagnosed with severe mental illness. I wonder what his excuse will be. Chris is seeing his ex behind my back. He thinks I don't know because I don't say anything because he and I are now Facebook official. Chris being tall, cheekbones being chiseled. We are so compatible, he says. I am learning compatibility is compromise plus a man doing what he wants. And the months invested in this cardboard cutout are just the price I pay for looking less lonely than my friends. You know how sometimes your boyfriend uses the N-word in front of you and you ask him maybe not to? And 
He thinks it's funny how ridiculous you're being, and societal acceptability starts to seem like an elaborate joke you've been playing on everyone you meet. And what can you do except freeze the smile when the only person laughing holds the keys you need to leave? Alexis, what drew you to this poem? It was like hearing a friend from high school talking to me over drinks. It nails down how abusive relationships work in the tone of the poem. It's vaguely unsettling in the beginning, but you kind of dismiss it, laugh it off, until you get further in the poem and you can't ignore it anymore. It moves so swiftly from, ah, it's probably nothing to, uh uh-oh, really well. I agree with what you said about it feeling like a friend. I feel like that repetition of you know how really creates that immediacy along with present tense here. It's like obviously, you know, reminiscing on memories, right? But it's told to us in the present. So like it it unfolds, I think, in a really interesting way. Yeah, the present tense, that does really help because it feels like it's moving before you have time to really catch your breath while you're reading it. So one of my favorite moments in this poem is in the fifth stanza where she says, it is April and in two months I will be diagnosed with a severe mental illness. I, I love that choice of the present tense for its immediacy, but also for that opportunity it creates for the speaker to like project into that future. I feel like with, with poetry, that's like where the speaker relays something that's this personal, having that room for the reader to imagine is really important. And so I think the present tense does that, but also that that sort of projection into the future gives us suggestions about like what the ramifications of this situation can be. I agree with that. And I like that part because uh, coming right after it saying, I wonder what his excuse will be. It really comes across better that these are real people. This person didn't just write this poem just for shock value or anything like that. It's not just about the present moment. It's about all that could uh, happen afterwards, which is how abuse really does go. And it's, it's just really well done. Well, and I, I think it's interesting, too, the repetition about societal expectations throughout. And I love all the moments where the speaker refers to like being Facebook official and the the image that's projected in social media and all of that. I think that's really fascinating. And I think that for the final stanza, you know how sometimes your boyfriend uses the N-word in front of you and you ask him maybe not to, and he thinks it's funny how ridiculous you're being. Like it touches on the intersection of so many societal expectations. It was it was already hitting me pretty hard, but that last the beginning of the last stanza really is really important to me to see that kind of stuff. That people kind of call that out. Um, a lot of people back away from the conversations around the N word and stuff, and I like how they were pretty upfront about it in this one. Well, the, the final line just. Uh... When the only person laughing holds the keys you need to leave. That's uh, so real. Terrifying. Yeah, I'm glad we got this one. Me too. Catherine Weiss lives in Western Massachusetts with her husband, two dogs, and a cat. Her poetry has also been published in Gravel Mag and Jersey Devil Press. Catherine is the founder and editor-in-chief of the podcast in Lit Mag, Slam Chop. Learn more at catherineweiss.com. The next poem for today is Exunt by Jessie Lynn McMains. 
I'm Jesse Lynn McMaines. I'm calling from Racine, Wisconsin. This poem is called Exunt. The women in my family carry secrets in their mouths like cyanide, teeth, ampules full of fatal poison to be bit into before anyone else can get to them, hold themselves cautious like their bodies are loaded, guns, and they have itches they can't scratch without their trigger fingers. The women in my family serve bitterness over easy, lemon yolks soaking into toast spread with a smear of sorrow so buttercream you can't believe it's not. Poor black coffee since the blues caught them in the breakfast nook where they don't tell the story of my great aunt who, trapped in a marriage that made her not her own foot finally, said, Mama, I'm leaving him, and her mother said, No sweet child of mine is going to get divorced, so... My great-aunt got into her car, cranked the engine to life, found a way out without ever leaving the garage. The women in my family hide escape routes in their purses, next to their car keys, sign their divorce papers in blood, walk into rivers, their pockets heavy with shame, taught me to always check for the nearest exit and know when to go whether with a suitcase packed in one foot out the door or limp on the kitchen floor with my pretty little head in the oven. One thing that I really love about this one is its title. I listened through it and thought it was really powerful and thought, you know, I've seen that word exempt before, but I couldn't remember what it meant. And when I looked it up, it's stage direction for when everybody exits at once. And I was like, Damn, like, oh my God. Um, what about you? What drew you to this, to this one? The first line, the women in my family carry secrets. I was like, I'm all for some secrets, so <laughs> let's go. And I always love to see how family poems play out. And this one has so many, like, surprising turns. Mama, I'm leaving him, and her mother said, no, sweet child of mine is going to get divorced. It like gives you that split second of thinking that, that maybe the response is going to be supportive. I wasn't it, prepared for the slashes to go where they are, but you can tell that's done with a lot of intent. It was really great to read and listen to this one because I never, I never really know how the slashes should be listened to. And mm-hmm. so to hear them give this really strong poem such a strong voice. They pretty much gave me a lesson in how to write a poem. Hmm. And I appreciate that. Well, I think another sort of lesson that that I took from this is, you know, a poem that sort of focuses on suicide, but weaves in some of those more violent images in a way that they have double meanings. Like their bodies are loaded guns and they have itches they can't scratch without their trigger fingers. And then later in the poem, my great aunt got into her car, cranked the engine till I found a way out without ever leaving the garage. Just the way those are delivered. Those lines do a lot of work. And it's more than just suggesting these methods of suicide. And then, of course, the, the final stanza, the kitchen floor with my pretty little head in the oven. That's like such a plath moment. That's that's where my mind goes anyway. But I thought that the word choices of pretty little head and sweet child of mine, like these very like saccharine phrases for such desperation and violence. I just, I don't, the juxtaposition there I thought was really, it got me. 
I really, I really love this poem. I cursed a lot when I was reading it because I didn't <laughs> see it going uh, a lot of places that went. Like what you said about the double meaning about the great aunt getting into the car and then finding a way out without ever leaving. I was like, this is this is rude what you're doing here. Yeah. You can't believe it's not poor black coffee since the blues caught them in the breakfast nook. The colors there, black and blue, like they're delivered to have meanings but they're so close together that I immediately was like, oh, like black and blue. Like I thought was suggestive of like abuse and all kinds of other other things that could be underlying these scenarios. And I just, you're right, it's rude. <laughs> Jesse Lynn McMains, a.k.a. Rust Belt Jesse, is the poet laureate of Racine, Wisconsin. They published their prose and poetry in their own zines, and their work has also appeared in New Pop Lit, The Rain, Rising Phoenix Review, and others. You can visit them at recklesschance.net. The last poem for today is Jesus is as good a replacement for crack as any, I guess, by Kit Travers. Hi, this is Kit Travers calling from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Entitled, Jesus is as good a replacement for crack as any, I guess. Disappointment is more common than love, or at least as common. At least as common as fathers and their children as common as forced haircuts, family Bible lessons, and long rambling prayers, the point of which is right between your eyes, while his hand clutches yours, kneading your fingers, grinding your knuckles till they're sore. As common as street fighting lessons, which is pretty much just you being pushed over again and again by a middle-aged man. As common as being threatened with military school, as common as when he falls asleep in his food, as common as when he threatens to kick you out of the car to walk your judgy, ungrateful ass home. As common as cheating and stealing and lying. As common as being told you're just a little fairy boy or that Harry Potter is the devil. Common as finding crack pipes in the drawers of the cars or waking you up to talk in the middle of the night about how your mother is poison. As common as visiting him in rehab or being told you're a bad son. As common as insomnia. As common as drug dealers using your mom's car for a toilet. And it's as common as nightmares, and as common as the memories that run on repeat 12 years on, when you still only feel safe, alone, with your books and your drink, and all the locks secured, in an apartment where the only other living things are two plants, one of which is barely holding on. Thank you. Can we please just talk about this title? <laughs> this is ridiculous, and I love it. I was like, there... <laughs> That title just sets you up for so much. I was wondering where in the world we could go with this. <laughs> there was a whole lot in this poem, and it was written so plainly. The poet pretty much punched me in my gut, which is, I think, something you want from a poem. Disappointment is more common than love. I said, ah, shit. And the whole poem is built on litany in a way that I think really works. So the, the repeated phrases as common as... Mm-hmm. And that's so, I mean, that's so deeply ironic. Like these things shouldn't be common, but also that repetition sort of mirrors what's happening. And especially as we, when we get to that line is it's as common as nightmares and as common as the memories that run, run on repeat. Like all of these memories are so deeply traumatic that that repetition 
sort of mirrors the the experience of that, like the lived experience of trying to like process trauma. Is that sort of like cyclical, having to unpack and unpack and unpack all of these things that have happened. And then when you think of the unpacking and that last line, one of which is barely holding on, it makes you wonder how the speaker even made it that far in the poem, made it to the end of the poem, or what they do mm-hmm. once the poem is finished. I always think reading these kind of poems will get easier. You think you're past a lot of stuff, but you have a poem like this, and it makes you realize that you still have stuff you got to work on. I think that's, for me anyway, that's helpful. It's part of what poetry is for. Like, I'm really good at pretending that I don't need to think about things. <laughs> and I think poems like this are important for me to feel, like, less alone, but also... Yeah. But also to, like, remind me that you each got to unpack stuff. You got to do it. With it in an apartment where the only other living things are two plants, one of which is barely holding on. It took me, like, four times reading it to understand that one of the living things that is barely holding on could be the speaker. I was really trying to make it the plants because I need to feel better. I I just I just love that image. Well, and I, I think, too... Those lines, you only feel safe alone with your books and your drink and all the locks secured. The drink there feels very intentional. Which worries you a little bit just because so much of the poem is about addiction. Mm -hmm. And it's very good about the reality of trauma that afterwards things don't automatically get better. That you have some safe things that you can fall back on, but sometimes you still have dangerous things that you turn to. And I like how they put that really plainly in the poem. All of these that we picked to talk about just like knock the shit out of me. So I was like a super big fan of voicemail poems before I joined. It was one of my favorite magazines. And I think this is why. I think the community that is created by voicemail poems creates the space for things that are like difficult and necessary like this. I really just want, like, everybody from every issue. I just want a big party with them, really. But it wouldn't be so much of a party, really. I think I would just be sitting and being like, you guys are so great. Thank you for sending your work. Can we also just talk about how great you are? Everybody gets at least 10 minutes. and we just discuss it? This is why you are a fantastic co-host, because that's, that's our whole goal. We're just, we're just going to discuss it. <laughs> Kit Travers lives in Philadelphia with his two houseplants, Edgar and Leo, surrounded by books. He works in medical publishing by day and scribbles poetry and short fictions by night. His most recent prose can be found in Bedfellows. He can be found on Instagram at ktravesty. The music featured on this podcast is by True Key. For more, visit soundcloud.com slash truekey. Voicemail Poems is published quarterly. The next deadline is June 15th. Check us out at voicemailpoems.org. If you love what you hear on this podcast, and I know you do, please consider becoming a contributor to our Patreon at patreon.com slash voicemailpoems. And review us on iTunes. Huge thanks to our current Patreon contributors, Tyler Byrne, Lena Renierson, and Bree Sparks. As always, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.